series called The Practices of the People of God. And as Kevin had already said, we, uh, we're formed by what we do for good or bad. Um, the, the, the things that uh, we do uh, either deform us into a false story or uh, they form us into a true story. Uh, so the things that we do form us. And so over the next several weeks, we're going to be looking at um, practices that are given to us by God so that we can actually reflect and bear the image of God into the world that we live in. And so that's what these practices um, are for. About um, uh, five years ago, I went to a baseball game with some friends. And I am, if you know me, I'm not like a big sports fan. Don't even really like baseball. I usually can only last about four innings, but I really enjoy overpaying for nachos and beer. So I go and I, I uh, usually go with friends. I've never gone alone actually. And we were going to a late game and I lived in St. Louis right by the, the light rail. And so it's our public transportation, the Metro links right by our house. and so. For Friends came over to our house. I drove us over to the metro station. We parked uh, in a six-story parking garage that people can park in. There's businesses and stuff that are going around. And we jumped on the, the metro, went into the city, enjoyed the game. I bought those nachos. I drank that too expensive beer, and we had a blast. But it got over at like 11 o'clock at night. And so we caught the last train out of St. Louis back home to our train station. And uh, I, we get out and I walk into the parking garage and it's completely empty. And I'm like, oh, that's weird. Are we like legitimately like the only ones that like are coming back from the game? Are we the last ones? And so I was like, this is really, really strange. And then we went, uh, I went to go where my car was parked and I get there and my car's gone. And all of a sudden my heart just starts to sink. I'm like, oh my gosh. And my friends are like, like, what is going on? Like, no one's here. And we start looking around, and there's all of these, like, like uh, toe warning signs that are all around the place. It's like $300 fine, $600 fine. Like, everywhere you look, there's these, like, warning signs that are all over. And I'm like, oh, man, I got towed. And in, in that moment, I'm thinking, ah, 300 bucks, like that's a lot to swallow. Like for a pastor, like I can't believe I'm gonna have to pay that. And so I call one of the signs and I start calling around and I ask the tow company like, hey, I think my car got towed. Like, you know, do you have it? And they're like, what's the license plate number? I give them all the information. And they're like, no, we don't, we don't have it here. And I'm like, I was like, well, maybe another tow company? And they're like, well, no, we check a public database like it just goes in if anyone tows your car it'll go on this public database and I can tell you where it is so all of a sudden my mind went from my car got towed to my car stolen and I'm like oh now it went from like a $300 towing fee to like a $6,000 car gone which I probably had horrible insurance for at that time or whatever was was going on and so I was freaking out getting with friends, we go out front, we call the cops, the cops like 20 minutes later come and I start filling out a report uh, with, with the cop. And now listen, by this time, we're about two hours into this. Okay, so it's like one o'clock in the morning, everybody's like calling their spouses, trying to Uber for rides home and everything. And I go and the cop and I fill out the report and the cop says, well, I need to take a photo of where your car got stolen from. And he says, so will you get back in the back of the car and take me to where your car was? I said, sure. So I jump in the car, we go into the building and I'm like, yeah, take a right here, take a left here, first right. And it's right there on the, and guess what was sitting right on the left? My car. <laughs> yeah. 
My car was there the whole time. I'm in the back of a cop car. I can't like get out. Like the cop has to get out and he opens up and he gets really close to me. Gets like this close to my face. He's like, are you all right, son? And he thought I was drunk or high or something was, was wrong. But here is the thing. It was, it was really easy for me to live in the wrong story. Like in that moment, I created a reality for myself that simply just wasn't true. Right? I was reading the signs around me in culture, right? All these towing signs. And all of a sudden, I started living in the story that David's car got towed, right? And then when I called and talked to someone else and they gave me information, I started living in the story that my car was stolen. And I am filling out a report and uh, believing that my car is gone and I was out of car. And it simply just wasn't true. Now... I was thinking about that and I started realizing like, isn't living into the wrong story a lot easier than we think? It just is. And I started wondering like, how many like cultural signs are defining my reality for me? How many people's voices that I'm talking to are defining my reality for me? The resurrection brought about a decidedly new reality that is sometimes hard for us to see. Right? Just think about it. Jesus lived a perfect life. He died the sacrificial death, right? He died for the sins of the world. And then he resurrected three days later, ushering in this new creation reality, right? And then all of a sudden, 2,000 years later, we're like, okay, so now what? Now, what does that mean for us? And I think oftentimes we have a hard time understanding what this new reality that Jesus made possible for us is like to live into. Uh, Richard Rohr, actually, I'm not even sure Richard Rohr said this. He was the only one I could, I could find the quote for. I think someone else said it, but he might have stole it. But it says this, people, most people don't see things as they are. Rather, they see things as they are. I know that's kind of like mystic-y. People are like, what the heck is he talking like Yoda now? But, but think about it. People don't see the way things actually are in the world, right? We all see them through a pair of glasses like Kevin Drew. We all see them through a very specific lens. We see things the way that we are. And Jesus lived, died, and resurrected so that we could have a new set of glasses to see the way things really are. Life with Jesus allows us, or should allow us, to see things more clearly, to see what God is actually up to, and to see who God actually is in the world. Now, I was thinking about this the other day, and this was almost my uh, graphic for this. One, just to mess with Kevin, because I know he'd hate it. But two, uh, I was thinking about this picture in there. This is our Good Friday night. It was actually one, it's been one of my favorite nights at Missio so far. We hung up the, the whole story of the Passion Week of Jesus and there, it was just a beautiful time of singing and storytelling and praying and just being together as the family in the Passion Week. But there are people who only saw this moment through their phone, through an image on Instagram. And I started thinking, what does that device choke out of that moment? Like there's a lot of things that that 
picture just doesn't communicate. It's a reality that people can't live into because they don't have the full picture of what is really going on. Like if someone was to look at this, they don't know that the bread that we ate that night for communion was delicious, the taste of it. They, they don't know that actually our whole church was reoriented the other direction, away from the stage and towards the cross. They don't know the people that were there encouraging each other and the people that were reflecting and praying for one another. We, they just don't get that experience because they, it, they, when people try to live their lives through a false picture or a constrained picture, they miss out. And here's what we're doing is we are gonna go on a journey and we're gonna look at the real realities that Jesus Christ gave us to live into. And so the book of Acts, you can open up there, Acts chapter two uh, is where we're gonna be. But the first two chapters of the books of Acts gives us some clarity on how Jesus's resurrections changed things for us. Now here's the reality. Luke, this is uh, Luke's second book. He wrote the book of Luke and, and captured Jesus's life, gave us an account of Jesus's life, death, and resurrection. And then he writes the book of Acts and says, now what? And, and what it is, is he's saying new creation has dawned and, and he's helping us to live into the right story. And so I wanna start off by giving us a summary of the first two chapters of the book of Acts. Because listen, Luke is not just writing and saying, hey, here's what happened after Jesus resurrected. He's actually giving us four little snapshots of what new creation reality looks like for the people of God. So this is what you're gonna think in mind. What, what is Luke telling us? What is this new creation reality that the people of God are supposed to be living into? And the book of Acts opens up with the story of Jesus's ascension. Now, Jesus's ascension is not just like Jesus being like, I did my work, I'm piecing out, you guys figure it out. Jesus' ascension is this new, beautiful reality that Jesus is actually taking his right and proper place as the King of kings and the Lords of lords, not just over Rome or over Jerusalem, but over all of creation. Like we get this picture of saying we have a new king, a new authority, one that's not like the old oppressive authorities of the world, but one that is loving and willing to lay down his life for you. We are able to orient our lives and submit our lives to a brand new gracious king, one that is beautiful, a new beauty to gaze in, a new glory to revel in, that we can live in this world in a brand new way because the reign of God has broken through. Luke's saying, God's rule and reign has broken through on the earth. Jesus sits on the throne, we have a new authority, and Jesus is a good and gracious king who rules with justice and mercy, and you can submit your whole life to him. And I know we don't like that word submission, right, in, in our day, but this is different. It's not oppressive or abusive. He's just and merciful and gracious and loving. We have a new king. And now when I read, this is my little thing, I've, I read a, a book recently. I'm reading a lot of books for school, so a lot of like theology books. But out of all the books that I've read, my favorite has been by a theologian that you guys might know. His name's Matthew McConaughey. He wrote a book called Green Lights, like half of you will get that. But after every story he tells, right, he, he says this little thing, green light, 
right? And what it means is like, it's permission to move forward. It's permission to live the life that you were called to live, to live into the story you're called to live in. And every time I read these four snapshots from Luke, I hear Matthew McConaughey's voice go, you have a new king, green light right? Like, go for it. Like, you can do this. You can live in authority of a good king, but then he doesn't stop there because the next snapshot is a story about um, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, right? Matthew just talked about it, this promise in Joel that in the last days, Jesus will pour out his spirit on all people, on the whole of creation, And Luke wants us to know that we have not just this new king to submit our lives to, but we have this new power to live by and this new presence to live with and in. The Holy Spirit is here. He's come. He's at work and he's present among us. And what's scandalous about this whole thing is God's no longer dwelling in the Holy of Holies, but now he's filling the earth. It's this beautiful new reality. Green light this new thing that we get to live into. And then the next snapshot is Peter gives this message, this new story, right? He basically retells the Old Testament story, but through the lens of the cross. Now they have the key to the the, the true story of the whole world through the lens of Jesus's life, death, and resurrection. The Old Testament now begins to make sense and become clear. And Peter gives us a new story to live in. So not only do we have a new king to worship and submit our lives to, a new Holy Spirit, a power and a presence to be filled by, but now we have a new story to live in. It's beautiful. But here's where we get to tonight. The final snapshot, this is a new story, sorry. I get excited and then I don't click my slides. I'm very sorry about that. Here's, and if I, if I had more time this week, I would have written the true story symbols on that part. I just didn't know how to do it quickly. And so, but we do have a new story to live in. And then the final snapshot is we have a new community of people to live with. See, The fruit of the gospel taking root in a people and a place is community. I'm going to say that again. The fruit of the gospel, the power of the gospel taking root in a people and in a place is a new community. And Luke gives us this final snapshot of this new kingdom reality that we get to live into because of what Jesus accomplished on the cross. It's this beautiful picture of life with God together. And I want to read this, and we're going we're gonna to spend some time, uh, just a moment, reflecting on this. But listen to this snapshot, and then I want you to picture Matthew McConaughey's voice reading this, all right? And then you can have this green light, right? They devote, I wish I could do impersonations, because I would just, I would nail that, but I can't. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. That was the local churches. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. See, 
When we begin to live life with Jesus, what community, what the gospel actually does is it creates community, one that is animated by the Holy Spirit, marked by the love of God, and one where these new practices emerge so people can start bearing the image of God again. These practices of devotion, right? They have this new devotion towards Jesus, these practice, uh, practices of power. There was this this real kingdom power that was at work among the people, bringing um, healing to the sick and bringing, meeting the needs of the poor and inviting in the marginalized. There's this new sense of generosity, these practices of generosity that emerge. And as these things are emerging, a picture of the kingdom of God breaking into the world begins to take place. And The kingdom of God is breaking into the world, not with legions of armies, but with these new communities of love. So here's what I want to do. I want to take two minutes, three minutes, turn to a group of people around you, and based on this passage of scripture, just tell me a few things, a couple of things that you see that's beautiful about this snapshot of this new kingdom reality. And then if you're vulnerable, if you want, you can say, what are some things that seem hard or difficult? All right, two minutes, turn to a few people around you, have that discussion, then we'll come back. There's some, there's some beautiful things uh, to look at and gaze on when we see this description of this new creation community beginning to take form, right? This new creation reality is moving into the world and it's taking root and taking form in the form of community, in the context of community, and it's beautiful. There's two, two observations that I have that I'm not going to teach on, but just two things that, that came out as I was looking at this is, one, the, the resurrection of Jesus reoriented their whole lives around Jesus and his work for and in creation. Like there was this new sense of devotion to God, particularly in the person and work of Jesus Christ that emerged out of Uh, out of this community. And and they started forming these practices to keep them devoted. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to prayer, to the Lord's table. There was all of these practices that kept them oriented towards Jesus. And and that's what new creation community is. It, It is first and foremost a people that are fixated and oriented on Christ and his life and his death and resurrection. It's not a people who were fixated on uh, law or spiritual practices that, that make them better, but it was people that did spiritual practices that made them gaze into the life of Christ more fully. It's this beautiful thing. And then the second thing that I was just astounded by is the resurrection reshaped their understanding of status and power. Actually, what made this community so beautiful is not the fact that they shared their possessions, but it was, it was the fact of who they were sharing their possessions with. This was a community made up of rich and poor, made up of the religious and irreligious. I imagine there was uh, tax collectors. I know there were because Matthew was there, right? That were, that were a part of that. There were prostitutes. There were people who were possessed by demons that had been cast out of them. There were uh, people who uh, were rich and started following Jesus and just gave their lives to Jesus. There, There was all kinds of people that were there. It completely reshaped their sense of status and power in a community. It's breathtaking. And, and, and that is the most beautiful thing ever. 
I was sitting in uh, Mythical Coffee the other day, and I was sitting out there, and uh, I was working, and I noticed this one girl came in, and she had this big bag, and she leaves her bag on the outside table in the front, like completely open, doesn't say anything to anyone, just leaves her bag out, goes inside, gets her coffee, she's in there for like five, six minutes, comes back out, and then she proceeds to pull out like three computers from her bag. I was like, whoa, that's strange, she just left that bag in there, and uh, and then I, uh, another guy came up, he sets up his laptop, stopped working for a minute, and then jumps up out of his seat and runs in and, uh, and goes into the thing. And I'm just thinking, whoa, like, do these people not care about their stuff or what is going on? And I leaned over the lady and I was like, like, I watched you like leave your stuff there. I watched this guy leave their stuff there and go in and out of the coffee shop. I'm like, what's up with that? And she's like, oh yeah, Gilbert's like the safest place in America. Like, we don't, we don't have to worry about this stuff. Listen, I live on like Southern and Dobson, like in the hood. Like if I left, if, like I could leave for 30 seconds and my stuff would be gone. Like it would be toast. It was sick. But in my mind, I'm thinking that's really, I, at first I was like, that's really beautiful. But then I started thinking about it. I'm like, you know what? It, it really isn't because that's a community where no one has need right? Everybody's the same. Everybody has the same MacBook. Everybody has the same bank account and opportunities. Like it's very, it's a very flat, like level economy. But if that was to happen at my Starbucks on the corner of Southern and San Jose, now that would be beautiful, right? Because not everybody's the same. Everybody comes from a different status, has a different amount of resources. And if that happened there, oh my gosh, kingdom of heaven would have broken through like in my neighborhood I thought it was beautiful but I think it's beautiful that what we're witnessing is a reshaping of our understanding of status and power simply by this answering this question well who belongs at the Lord's table who belongs at the Lord's table see the table is open for all kinds of people in all different circumstances of life it's absolutely breathtaking now this type of community, obviously, this new creation community that God has called us to live into is beautiful. We all long for it. We can all see the, the, the beauties of it. But can we be honest just for a moment? Community is difficult, isn't it? If I was to take a survey in this room by how many people have been harmed or humiliated or felt less than in a Christian community, it would be embarrassing how many hands would rise up, wouldn't it? Community is hard. It's, it's difficult. And I just want to start by saying, I know there are tons of barriers and baggage that come. And, and, and here's where we fall in. All of us fall into one category. All of us, or maybe both, all of us fall into the category of, I've been hurt by community. I don't want to do that again. Or I have this idealistic expectation about community and no one else can live up to my idealistic expectation about community. I have this idealistic imagination and nobody's doing enough or being enough or doing enough. And, that. and I think we all fall into the category. Just ask me on, on one day, it's like, oh, I'm hurt by it. On the other day, I have this idealistic expectation for community. And I just want to acknowledge that's real. And as the people of God, that is something that we have to work through. But here's what I want to us to consider. If we focused less 
on what it is that we are getting from community. And we started orienting our lives around some of the practices that form community, the practice we see here. I wonder if we might just be able to recognize, taste, and see the goodness of God in a new creation community. And, and some of us already are, but some of us are still having a trouble getting there. And so I want us to invite us in that. And, and here's how I want to end with, with this. I just want to give us three reminders of what community is. And maybe that will help us as we engage, start engaging these practices, realizing that the context for these practices that we're going to talk about over the next several weeks is community. These aren't individual practices for individual spiritual formation. These are spiritual practices that God has given us to actually form community so that we can begin to take shape as a new creation community in the world. All right, so here's the three things that community is, right? I don't have a voice, a character for this one. You can use Matthew McConaughey if you want, but you can use someone else. Here it is. Community is plain and simple God's design. It's God's design. It, community is the place where we actually experience the fullness of what it means to be human. In the very beginning of creation, God said, it's very good, it's very good, it's very good, it's very good. The only thing that wasn't good when man was alone, when, when man didn't exist in the context of community. And matter of fact, as we read the scriptures and it unfolds, we actually begin to learn that God himself is triune. That God himself lives in this beautiful, self-giving community, right? Where the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit are living in mutual divine love towards one another in this perfect community. And we were created in God's image to live this out in, in community. Some, of, some older theologians used to um, describe uh, the Trinity as the divine dance, right? I love that picture. It was, it was this picture of this divine dance where the Father and Son and Holy Spirit were delighting in one another. That's what community is. It's just a part of God's design. But listen, because we live in a culture of hyper-individuality and hyper-consumerism, we assume that to be human is to belong only and ever to thyself. Right? And, and that's actually becoming a virtue, right, of this independence, this autonomy, this self-care, this self-talk, this self. Like we think that to be fully human is to live just unto self. But Jesus helps us to see what it means to really be human. And he gives us the context of community. And, and when we think about it, what sin does is it destroys community. It, it, it destroys our life with God, the community and fellowship we have with God. It destroys our, our life with one another. And it destroys our, our, our relationship to the creation itself. It's actually at work to rip apart community. So it's no wonder that community is hard because sins still exist on the earth and life is community. Matter of fact, uh, Tim Kelly used to say that everybody has the same uh, deepest longing and greatest fear. Their deepest longing is that they would be fully known and fully loved, which means that their deepest fear is if that they're truly known, they won't be fully loved. We all long for this. We're created for it. It's a part of God's design. And matter of fact, Paul in the scriptures over and over uses this body analogy, right? Where we belong one to another, that we're all a part of this body, that our wholeness depends on the creative and nurturing interplay of our individual gifts, like I, I need, like my full humanness like needs, needs to interact with your humanness for me to experience the fullness of what it means to be human. 
uh, D.L. Moody had, uh, he had this situation that happened, happened to him where he had a church member over at his house and they were sitting in the front of the fire and the church member was just talking about, I don't need the church. I don't need community. You know, like I, I, we can just do this on my own. My prayer life's fine. My, my, you know, my uh, benevolence life is fine. Like I'm doing okay on our own. And, it, and the story goes that Moody just pulls out this piece of coal away from the fire and he sits it on the hearth and it just sits there. And as this guy's talking, this, this piece of burning ember begins to lose its light. And, and just like smolders out to nothing. And the guy that was with him looked at Moody and he's like, oh, I get your point. And here is his point, that we can no more be formed in the image of Christ outside of community than a coal can t- continue to burn outside of fire. We were created for community. We were created from love and we were created for love as God mends our hearts and we're able to return to a posture of love We'll always, which always has an object outside of itself, we will become that type of new creation community that God is calling us to. Second thing that we see is that community is sacred space. It's where we experience the fullness of God's presence and power among us. Listen to what Paul wrote in, to, to the Corinthians. They were having some division problems in the church, having a hard time with community. And here's what uh, Paul said. He said, don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst? So when he's saying you, he's not meaning you like you. He's meaning like you, you all, like all of you together. You are God's temple. Like you're this place now where God dwells, where the things of God actually dwell among you. And he says, if anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person. Jeez, take a Prozac, Paul, like chill out, dude. Like what, what are you talking about? But he, see the seriousness, like the weight of this temple, like uh, image that Paul has given us, it's sacred space. Like this is sacred space. God, uh, for God's temple is sacred and you together are, God, are that temple. And here's what I want to say is, is it is sacred. Like, do you know that I experience the love of God most fully when I experience the love of you? And someone comes up and encourages me and, and extends God's love that's in them to me. I experience God's love. Do you know I experience God's mercy when I actually sin against a brother or sister and I have to go to them and say, I was a knucklehead and I did that and I know it embarrassed you or hurt your feelings or whatever. I'm sorry. And they say, I forgive you. Like I actually experience God in a very real way in the context of community. It's the place where we worship together, take sacraments together, confess our sins together, receive mercy together, celebrate together, and get guidance and wisdom for the good life Jesus has for us together. It's a beautiful sacred space. So it's God's design where we experience the fullness of what it means to be human, and it's sacred space where we experience the fullness of God's presence and power. But it's also community is God on display to the world. It is actually the way that God's redemptive plan is moving forward on the earth. Not just through individuals, but through communities of people that are being formed by God together for the sake of others. He's moving his redemptive plan forward where we experience the fullness of God's redemptive purposes in our lives. 
We're a display people where we get to show the world what God and his kingdom is like, a taste or a foreshadow of the fully come kingdom. And this is the final quote. Leslie Newbegin says this, the whole core of, the bi- of biblical history is the story of God calling a visible people to a visible community to be his own people, his royal priesthood on earth, the bearer of his light to all the nations. Community is, is actually the mission of God at work on the earth. And that's what we see, right? We see this beautiful, new, attractive, countercultural display community that's been birthed by the resurrection of Jesus Christ on this earth. This new creation community has been born is God's mission moving forward on the earth, creating space for more and more people to experience his means of grace as they come to a table of love. It's this beautiful thing. And so that's what we're gonna do. The good news is that God invites all of us into a family, into a new way of living together so that we can experience what God is like and so that others can get a foretaste an experience of what God is like and what he's up to in the earth. And so we're gonna move towards the table. We're gonna have, we're gonna take communion together. So you guys will come up and you guys will take the the bread and the juice or the wine, but then you'll go back to your seats, hold on to it. Because as a community, a new creation community, we're gonna take communion all at the same time. And so you guys are free to come up and get your sacred elements. Let me pray for us. Father, as we hold this bread and wine, God, we thank you for this new creation reality that we get to live into. God, we thank you that we're not called to live in our own strength, by our own power, but we have your Holy Spirit, God, that we don't have to live by our own righteousness, but we can live by the righteousness of your son, Jesus. That we don't have to earn our place the table, but we have a loving Father who's made a way for all of us to come. And God, as we take these common things, this table wine and this common bread, we're reminded that Jesus is for everyone and that we're a part of something beautiful. And so we declare together as your family that Christ has died and that Christ is risen and that Christ will return again. Let's take and eat and drink.